Hey everyone, welcome back to Perpetually Dissatisfied, where we talk about things that piss us off. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm here with two amazing women today, uh, Marina and Danny. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves real quick um, and, and open the floor. So let's start with uh, Marina. Hi, my name is Marina Bayless. Um, I'm 28 years old. My family immigrated from Russia in 1998, and we've been in Chicago ever since. Um, I'm a huge fan of travel and think it breaks a lot of cultural barriers. And in this time of quarantine, I miss that very much, um, but I am very grateful that my family is around the area, and although I can't visit them, I know we're all still this together. I'm currently a project manager within supply chain, and I met Adam through Loyola University. So it's a little bit about me. Cool. Nice to meet you. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Danielle. Uh, I'm 26 years old. My family came here in 1992 from Kiev, and we've been in Chicago ever since. Uh, I moved around a bunch for school, for work, for myself. Uh, but I eventually ended up back in Chicago because got to be near the family. Um, during the day, I work as an instructional designer at an educational technology company. Um, and by night and weekend, I am a theater artist. So I do a lot of physical theater stuff and writing, and it's a good time. Um, I'm really excited for this. Uh, in terms of what the quarantine is doing to my family situation, um, my family and I are still seeing each other. I was staying with them up until Thursday, but then we all decided it would be best if we had some space. So now I'm in my apartment, <laughs> and, and I'll still be visiting them, um, and we'll, be, we'll spend time together, but in containers. <laughs> well, I appreciate that you both are here, um, and I think you both have like some really amazing experiences, which is why I reached out uh, from the get-go. But I'm going to start it off by saying, like, what would you say is one of the things, before we get into the nitty gritty, like, what would you say is a positive thing of growing up with Soviet parents? Because if you guys didn't get that, we are going to be talking about Soviet families and growing up with them today. Um, so what would you both say about that before I even respond to that? It could be anyone. Uh, so I think the biggest positive <laughs> is that there was always an emphasis on financial stability and kind of uh, being financially conscious, being conscious of finances in the family. I think part of that stems from the Soviet Union collapse and the other part of that stems because my family is Soviet and Jewish, so it's also World War II related. Um, so I think financial aspect, historical aspect, just kind of knowing that and being prepared in that way for the real world. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I was living in a bubble of bliss and thinking like everything is free and I can do anything I want with my life. It was always, you gotta work for what you want and you need to be financially stable. That's a good point. I think my, what I was thinking of encapsulates that. Um, the survivalist mentality that my parents really taught me and that they had to instill in themselves you know, growing up in the Soviet Union and, and coming here and being immigrants with no language, no money, no 
oh, they did have an education. I will, I always say that. Like the the greatest mm-hmm. thing they had, I think, for the Soviet Union was their incredible education. Um, so they did have that. Uh, but definitely their ability to take any situation and make the best of it and the most resourcefulness out of it, um, I, I really appreciate that they instilled that in me because it's helped me get through a lot of challenging times um, financially, emotionally, spiritually, <laughs> physically. Um, it, yeah, like, like they definitely made me a survivor as well. Yeah, I think those two like truly resonate with me. I think one of the things that I feel that I learned, I guess, or was has been ingrained in me is this idea or notion that like time is running out. So like a sense of urgency in a majority of things. And like, I'm very stubborn and very resistant to a lot of things. And so for me, I'm like, we got to get this done. We got to get through this. Um... Uh, you know, like, I, I don't know, I'm always moving and doing something extra. So I feel like that was something that was instilled in me as like, no free time, like, f- do uh, your job, figure out what you like, you know, be with people um, and all that stuff. And like, while I am like extroverted and introverted, I know that my sister is incredibly extroverted and like, needs to always be doing something. And I think that's very reminiscent of what our family uh, taught us is like you don't have time for free time you should be doing something always until you die <laughs> so um, as you know the famous saying goes you know uh, you can sleep when you're dead is what I used to be told consistently as a child so um, yeah I, w- I would say that is definitely something positive um, what would you guys say is something that one or two things that you feel as if is negative or impacted your ability to like live a normal life let's say that that's a deep <laughs> question that's a deep question yeah <laughs> can i answer I, your I, answer yeah yeah go right ahead yeah, um you can go first it's okay oh no you have it's on top of your tongue go for it yeah um so the thing you mentioned is the thing that I think is my thing that <laughs> negatively impacted me to live a normal mm-hmm. life. Um, kind of. I, I'm also very, like, I always have to be doing something productive. I mean, I have a job, and yet still I do all this theater and writing stuff. Why can't I just chill and enjoy my job? No, because that, that would be, because that would be chilling. God, God forbid I relax for a moment. Um yeah, I have a really hard time relaxing. I have no idea how to relax. Uh, and trying to incorporate like mindfulness practices into my life, meditation, yoga, just sitting and not doing anything, just like sitting and reading a book or watching a show um, has been like something like a habit I've ser- sincerely needed to form because I feel like I've, I've always, like if I'm not doing something productive, I'm wasting my time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that they taught me that exactly. I th- think I just kind of picked up on it because of how we were always moving around. They never were like, never telling me I shouldn't relax or I shouldn't sit and watch TV. That it was just like everyone was always moving around, so I felt like okay, well I can't be sitting and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Mine is very similar. Ties in with that. I feel like there's an internal struggle within myself of what's the right thing to do and what's the survival um, instinct in me compared to feeling pleasure and feeling happiness. So I never really like t- 
taught, like, what are these small instances of pleasure and how do you reflect on it? It's always what keeps you going, what keeps you growing, how do you better yourself? And like your parents, my parents came here very well educated, had to kind of start back up. So it's like, if they have to go through that, who am I to sit down and really have done all these pleasures in my life that I could be enjoying? It's like, no, you have to keep going. You have to keep almost proving yourself and proving that their sacrifices were worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, not like they're saying that to me. It's just sometimes that's how I feel because I grew up in an environment where I watched them struggle and better themselves and prove people wrong and just constantly grow. So as grateful as I am that they instill this great value of education in me and that I continue to educate myself, I do feel that my constant need to be better sometimes take takes away from my ability to really sit down and enjoy it. And like mm-hmm started doing yoga and that helped me physically as well as mentally gotten through some difficult times and for anyone listening that may be giggling like oh it's yoga it's like no it really forces you to think in that moment about your body and what's on that mat and nothing else such in our lives is difficult when it gets crazy busy yeah 100 percent like and I, I relate to that so much because um when i first started so I've been doing yoga for a really long time, but then when I started meditating, I was like, I can't, I can't just sit here and sit still and not do anything. And the only way I'm able to to do that is after I do yoga. Like I have to do yoga for an hour and then I can meditate for an hour. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, forget it. Like I cannot sit still um, for 30 minutes and just breathe because again, my brain starts to go into this like I'm just sitting here not doing anything mode. It's, yeah. Yeah, I think like for me personally, like the level, I wouldn't say dismissiveness because that seems so negative, but like secretive that like your problems or things you're going through or things that you're doing, you should always keep it a secret. And like, that's something that I think definitely impacted my ability to be vulnerable and share things and like discuss things. And like, not to say my mother was a bad parent I think she was an exceptional parent for for what resources she had at the time but I think one of the things that really bothered me you know up until like my early adult years or late adult years like um was this idea that like you have to be open and honest about certain things in order to be able to heal in order to have productive conversations in order to you know just be kind of functional. So I, I think, I think for me, one of the things that still bothers me is this, like, it's, it's almost as if like, they still think like the government of Russia is listening to them. And like, you can't say shit. Like I, there was like one time when like, I was asking my mom about an email. If she had one, she's like, Oh no, they, they watch, they watch my email. And I was like, who's they like, what? <laughs> And and then I like looked through her phone and she had an email and I was like, why are you lying to me? She's like, I don't know. I don't want to tell you. So like, it's, it's just bizarre shit. Like I almost envision their life looking as like the beginning stages of Anastasia, like where they're singing St. Petersburg and like, they all just look miserable. Um, 
And so that, that's something that's like truly resonated with, with like, I guess, growing up. Like I was like, is this what life is? Because if so, I want a refund. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm, I'm glad my parents don't do that. <laughs> I mean, they, my mom likes to talk about certain things, but like, for instance, like last year I got diagnosed with like anxiety and depression and I was like, mom, I'm, I'm taking medicine for that. And she was just like, why? You don't need it. And I was like, but I do. <laughs> so I, I think that was like, it, it's just important. Like it, it's almost as like a level of confusion of like, Maybe it is what you said earlier, Danny, is like they felt something, like they did something wrong. Um, but I was like, no, it's just, this is genetic. Like, sucks to suck, you know? Yeah. I yeah. think there's a little bit of a misconception because Russia didn't really test for certain things. Right. So someone being tested for ADHD in the States versus someone being tested for ADHD in Russia are two very different things. It's more easily dismissed. Um, or Soviet Union, I should say. I keep referencing Russia, I apologize. Uh, but so I think it's also, they didn't have that growing up. Mm-hmm. They Like, we live in Chicago, we have the Pride Parade, we have LGBTQ, they did not have any of that experience. Right. So, so many barriers of just things they didn't have growing up with. Mm-hmm. So to them, it's, it's foreign. <laughs> to them, it's foreign. It is. And, and I think that's one of the things that um, I've had, like, multiple conversations with my mom. Like, when I was younger, I was supposed to be diagnosed with ADHD and ADD. And, I mean, I didn't get it officially diagnosed until way later, until I was an adult. But, like, I just remember sitting in that, like, it, it almost was like an intervention meeting or some shit like that. And I just remember them, like, we want to help Adam, but we think he has, like, attention deficit order, disorder. And my mom's like, no, nah, he's just lazy. You know, and, like, yeah. And I think, like, again, that stems from, like, a misunderstanding, like, just not understanding the world in general. Um, And, like, you know, my mom isn't slow or anything, but she just grew up in a different time where things like those weren't spoken about or didn't exist. Um, So. My mom's approach to anxiety is really interesting. And it worked for me for a really, really long time until it didn't because it it wasn't actually a, a way to, to manage anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, she would say like, you are in control of your body and your mind. And every single time you feel like you're losing control, just get that control back. Like remember that you are in control. And that's really not how anxiety operates. Like it worked for me for a really long time through high school, through college. I was able to like, whenever I was on the verge of an anxiety attack, I would be like, nope, I've got this, I have my mind, my body. But at some point, my unaddressed trauma (laughs) coincided with all the stress in my life, and I wasn't able to control those anxiety attacks Mm -hmm. or how I was feeling. And in the moments, I was, like, triggered by certain things. Um, Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, that lack of understanding, the lack of information about mental health, about um, gender issues, about sexuality, like... It just wasn't a part of the curriculum. It wasn't discussed. It wasn't properly identified. Like, like even um, when I've had conversations with my mom about, like, I'm like, mom, I'm, I'm like, ninety nine percent positive you had friends that were queer, and you just like didn't, didn't know. talk about yeah. it, or, yeah. or, or like the way you talked about it. It wasn't the hundred percent. Like, like, hello, gay people have been around forever. Like, like, what's up? 
Um, and and she was like, I mean, yeah, I, I had some friends that would like hook up with like girls, hook up with other girls in college. I'm like, yeah, mom, those were gay people. Those were gay girls, okay? And she's like, but they ended up marrying men. And I'm like, okay, so they're bisexual or they're not. Like, it's it's like a very, it, it, the, the, the denial and the, the lack of, yeah, the lack of education, the lack of discussion around these topics, I think just really hindered them from from having progressive or or detailed um, conversations about it all. Yeah. Well, I think the best example my mom ever gave me of just like denial and people not really talking about things was um, she was saying that she knew of people who just like couldn't get pregnant for the longest time and like people weren't get t- getting like, okay, who they weren't trying to figure out whose fault is it or like not there's a fault more just like where the problem is and they weren't trying to like doing treatments so then one day the girl would go off to see and come back pregnant and they're like yep we we are pregnant now it's just like so no one addressed the problem but you found a quote-unquote solution as if nothing was wrong in your relationship or not they're like and it, it's just to me, it's interesting because they, everyone was okay with that denial because there was no fix and there was no testing and it was just part of the norm then. Mm-hmm. Like, just not talking about things and, I don't know. I, like, her telling me things like that was very interesting because I think nowadays what would happen, everyone would get tested, you would have treatments done, I don't think everyone would feel the need to really step out of their relationship in order to um, I don't know. It's it's very interesting to me. Yeah. I've taken this really weird direction also. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're fine. Would you say that like you find that your upbringing kind of impacts like your level of relatability to others? <laughs> that's that's a good question. Uh, I wrote a whole essay series about that exact thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so a couple of years ago, I did this fellowship project for Tikkun um, through the Jewish United Fund, Russian Jewish Division, and it was about my identity as uh, a post-Soviet Jewish feminist as a woman, um, and how my parents' experiences, my family's experiences have had been so intrinsically tied with my own, their, their way of viewing the world, the way that they, everything they taught me from my, my whole youth and childhood is 100% made relating and understanding why I haven't always felt 100% American, even though I was born here, even though like I have been going to American schools from the, the proper five-year-old kindergarten age through, through so on and so forth. Um, I, I think it's, unlike a lot of other immigrant populations, at least this is why I found my research, um, specifically in the 80s and 90s when immigrants came over and, and have been coming over since then, they haven't been trying to shed their former nationality as much as they did in the past, mm-hmm. which has made it really hard to separate your your um, identity of who you were in the country you came from to the country that you have come to now. 
So in the past, you had Irish people, Italians, um, Greeks, etc., who came here and were like, we're no longer Irish, we're no longer Italian, we're no longer Greek, we're, we're this. Yeah. We're American. Um, and then that, then that problem became, becomes even more confounded for people of color because the association of the word American identity is so, so tied to the white people. Mm-hmm. It was much easier for, for white presenting immigrant groups to to find their American identity than it was for people of color from Latinx countries, from African countries, from Middle Eastern countries and so forth, and Asian countries, of course. Um, there's something else I also consider is the fact that our family comes from a place that no longer exists. So all of our morals, our values, our, the things that we've learned are tied to a society that is literally no longer in existence. Yeah. What's left in its place is, is like, of course, like, I think the quote-unquote breaking down of the Soviet Union is is just replaced with another oligarchy that's doing the same bullshit that they did before. But still, the Soviet Union is no longer there. Russia is trying to reestablish itself as its own country. Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, Russia, like every, every single country that was part of the Soviet Union is trying to regain their national identity while still repeating a lot of the same mistakes that were made in the Soviet Union, but it's very hard to grapple with the fact that part of you that feels so very much tied to a place that don't no longer exists also has to exist here in a country where there are certain cultural norms, there are certain social norms, and certain things you're just not going to be able to fully relate to with your peers. And yeah, that accepting that is, is a challenge. Yeah. I would say that I think like, I think for me, it's definitely been like, aside from like making friends, cause I can easily do that. But I think like relationship wise, it's been difficult because there's so many traditional things that have been instilled and it almost feels as if I'm obligated to continue those by finding a partner that in, embodies that somewhat or holds that same kind of existence so to speak so like i mean my boyfriend right now he's definitely not russian he's you know a southern black man uh you know i'm sure you know he is christian so like there there's all those components that's in there um and i think that sometimes that tends to be a little bit difficult um because like there's certain like norms like when you come into the house right like you're supposed to say hello take your shoes off if they find that acceptable you know whatever like Things like that, or just like how you want your child to grow up. What do you want to be true for your future? And I think that's been something that's been difficult. I think for me, being, you know, gay, Jewish, like, you know, you technically Ukrainian, but speaking Russian, like all of those things, it almost makes you feel as if you're a fucking unicorn. And like, it, it's, it's tough because it's not like there are many people like me out there. Um, like even more smaller than ever before. So I think, you know, those traditional views of like what relationships should look like and what you should have in them, I think definitely like impacts my ability to relate um, for a variety of reasons. Yeah. You are. Um, oh, 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 you're shocked at first, yeah. <laughs> I think I've had um, a bit of an easier time with it. I was born in Russia, so I've kind of seen both sides. I was brought over when I was fairly young, so 
I've had the experience of both education systems. Um, so there are certain things where I feel like I find it hard to relate to people in regards to education sometimes because I know how much better it could be. Uh, but when it comes to relationships, I feel that what would be ideal for my family is not what's going to be ideal for me. And I've come to terms with that. I'm okay with that. And I think that has been the biggest takeaway. Um, but the best example I could give is in regards to smiling. Like in Russia, you don't just walk around the street and smile to people. Whereas in America, you definitely do. So cultural norms of that nature can be difficult to break. Um, like people think I'm resting bitch face a lot of the time. <laughs> so it's just like anecdotal things like that that can impact me, but I don't think they really have as grand of an effect in my life as they do to yours, Adam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. I definitely agree with the relationships thing, like romantic relationships. It's quite hard um, <laughs> for me as well. Um, I mean, like I've dated a lot of really wonderful people in the past who have various backgrounds, but I definitely found that it's much easier for me to date somebody who also has an immigrant background, like even not necessarily a, a Soviet one, but just like if, if their family has immigrated here, they do carry some similar ideas, mentalities, survivalist tactics, just like, like small little things about like how those people that I've dated, particularly like whenever I interact with my parents or have an argue with my parents or like have, have just like a difficult conversation. I found that the, like the Americans who have, whose families have been here for years, like don't understand how we communicate with each other. Like that's super unhealthy. Like that's just, that's, that's just like, that's just how it is. Like that's just how it is. And like, um, and even like seeking advice from my friends or romantic relationships, like having this argument with my family and I don't know how to address it. They're like, well, you need to set up your boundaries and do this and that. I'm just like, what boundaries? We don't do that. There are no boundaries in this household. I need different tactics. I need different approaches. <laughs> so true. It is true. And yeah. I always get like, why are you yelling at each other? It's like, we're not. <laughs> this is this is a normal volume yeah like yelling what i'm projecting did you ever feel like uh your friends families or like your friends relationships are always more like cuddly and loving than your parents yes that's a good question but my mom has always been very cuddly which i'm I'm grateful for because i I like from all my soviet friends i hear like that's not a thing (laughs) um Except, so she's very like, cuddly in times of like when things are good, when things are neutral, when things are normal. Um, but in times of stress or times of like I'm having a problem, she's like, okay, fine, let's, let's get to work and figure this out. I'm like, I just honestly, I just need a hug. I don't, I don't need help or or or, or solutions or or or, or strategy or, or your version of talk therapy. I just need a hug. And like she only will get that when I, if I start crying. Then she's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> then, 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 then I'm like, "Oh, it's a cue to hug her, right?" Um, but yeah, uh, affection was a, a 
it's always been a bit of a challenging topic, I know, in many Soviet households. Yeah. I mean, I would say my mom is pretty affectionate. Um, but also, like, I, I don't know, like, sometimes I feel like I was, like, that baby that was put in the basket and they found. Like, I don't emote very well sometimes. Like, most people know me for, like, two specific emotions, which is either, like, excitement or annoyance. Um, and so I think, like, it's so true, though. You know what I mean? Um, and, <clears throat> and, like, I don't know if that's, you know, like, something that has been passed down, like, from maybe from my father, because he definitely was just a psycho. Um, but... You know, my mom is more emotional. She's a little bit more sensitive. And, like, she just, like, tries to see the best in people. And I think for me, like, I'm like, nah, this person got me fucked up. Like, I, I, like, I definitely am very different, I would say, than, you know, even my brother, right? Like, he's very mild-tempered. He, like, can mostly contain his annoyance of people. You know, like, it, it's it's very... Like, I'm the extra one in the family, I would say. But I would definitely agree with that. Like, it's... Sometimes we need it, sometimes we don't. But I I do remember, like, even when I was in high school, like, a frustration that, like, I didn't feel normal ever because, like, all my other friends, you know, with the select few that I had that were Russian or came from immigrant backgrounds, like, I was like, why do I feel so different? Like, why do... Why are these families hanging out with one another why are they, like, having a good time? Um, and, like, we didn't really do that. Like, maybe we went to vacations once in a while. Um, but, like, it, we didn't just spend time for fun. Whereas, like, I would say now in my adult years, like, we do that. We spend time just to enjoy each other's company. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I definitely didn't f- see my parents really showing a lot of affection towards each other. Like, I don't think I ever heard my dad even utter the phrase, I love you. But, yeah, but I know he does, like, there's ways he shows it to me, but, like, that, it's just, it wasn't part of the vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. When you've... In in that respect, I think I'm lucky. My parents are very verbal with their explanations of love. That was their love language. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, like, my mom was definitely... I don't, I don't really, I can't really tell what my mother's love language is. Probably gift giving, but also maybe just like listening. Is that even a love language? I don't remember. It's not one of the top five, but I think that might go into like quality time, maybe. Maybe. My mom loves to gossip acts and complain. service, maybe? Could be. Oh, acts of service is so up there for my mom. <laughs> yeah, 100%. For me, too. I mean, I think I've inherited that as well. Like, if a lover or a friend can can help me with something, I'm like, oh, like you're, you're in, right? <laughs> you're, you're in, <laughs> you're in, in my love, <laughs> you're in my love bubble. Um, but, con- but the converse effect of that, not to like jump back to, to that, the things that weren't so great that we picked up from our family. But if somebody breaks my trust, it's like catastrophic. Like I, I, I will never, and it doesn't even have to be something huge. Like, and this is something that actually we've done a lot in therapy, where it's like the expectations I set for people. Like if I'm working on a project with someone, and especially with theater, this happens all the time, and I'm getting better at it, but people will say, like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this assignment, or I'm going to help you with this task, or I'm going to like be this part of the project. And then 
it's it's very possible. It happens all the time. People like the day before they get another commitment or like something happens personally and they drop out. Yeah. Old Danielle would have been like, this person is canceled. Like no more. Um, I trust them not. <laughs> they are dead to me. <laughs> They're dead to me. I am not. I trust them with no other things in the world ever. And, and like, I don't. I kind of feel like I picked that up for my family because like, like you need to rely on people. If you can't rely on people, how can you survive the Soviet Union? How can you survive this world? Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. I love that. Or 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 like that that I, the idea that my mom told me. I think when I was like six years old, she's like, Danielle, something you need to know now is that you can never trust or rely on anyone except yourself, including your family. Like we love you and we will do our best. Yeah. But you need you need to be a hundred percent self sufficient. Yes. Self sufficiency. Yeah. I would definitely say that like that's something my mom used to tell me all the time. She's like, Don't trust nobody. You can only trust me. And your family and you. And I was like, but I don't even trust myself. Like, what? And, like, you know, one of the things that I think was was very reminiscent is, like, she'd always be like, blood is thicker than water. And I was just like, well, yes, clearly blood is thicker than water. But, like, you know, that's not always the case. And, like, you know, I, I would be the first to say that I was a very rebellious, like, rambunctious teenager and I was always like resistant to this like notion that I had to be a certain way to fit some sort of mold um and so I think like that is something that like I think I I you know fought with for a while and I was like you know screw it like I don't care like I'm just gonna be me and if you don't like it you don't like it um but like you know over time they've fallen in line so you know that's a good thing. I think it's funny that you bring up blood is thicker than water because it's such a misquoted thing. Because the full phrase is covenant blood is thicker than bath water. Or like bath water. So it's actually like the flip of it sometimes. See, Russian people just steal things just to like use it for their agendas. Oh yeah, there's so many <laughs> phrases like that. So if we're gonna twist the entire meaning of this and flip it on its head. Um, <laughs> It's just something that's parroted, you know. I do think my family, my mom, for the most part, has instilled very much like your family is here for you, will always support you, but you kind of have to do things on your own because you never know what happens. And I see that divide on like my dad's side of the family. They're not close. I don't think they're very close to each other, even though they live in close proximity. And there's my mom's side of the family. They're halfway across the world, and I met up with them more for holidays and vacations. So it's, I also think it's like how their families were brought up that impacts, and they pass that down generationally. Yeah. Intergenerational trauma is very real, I think. Like, you know, my mom has it. You know, my father clearly had it um, for a variety of reasons. So I think, like, 
It's very true. Um, you know, going to a, a, like a different question I'm on the top of my head is like, have you ever been in a situation where you've introduced a partner to your parents and they have like reacted in a bizarre or negative manner? I could start it off Wait, by, so yeah. Are you saying have, the, have my parents reacted bizarrely or my partner? Oh, shoot. You could do both if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> like my, like I remember in a majority of my relationships, one of the things that I have always noticed about my mom is like she'll, she doesn't like delve into questioning or asking my partner anything. She'll like automatically like pull up her phone and be like, do you want to see my garden? And like show them pictures of tomatoes or cucumbers that she grew. Like, that's, like, a fond memory that I have. Like, and she do, she still does it to, like, friends, to people that I've been on dates with. Like, like my boyfriend that she um, met recently, she was saying, like, oh, he's really... Like, she actually tried this time. But, like, in the past, it's almost as if she was just, like, what... Like, not whatever, but just, like, okay, you exist in this realm um, and, and that's about it. And I don't think that's on her. I think she just has a hard time relating with others. Do you think that was her way of like trying to pull them into her life and like yeah. try to put them on that level? Yeah, definitely. But that, like, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you don't come up to somebody that you're like, you want to introduce yourself, get to know who they are. And I'd be like, do you want to see a picture of my tomatoes and cucumbers? No. It hurt a lot. Those tomatoes, you look great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was just weird. It was just like a very like weird circumstance. I and I mean, like my mom doesn't really ask me like questions about my relationship or like what I'm going through in them. And I don't know if that's because mm-hmm. her and I are not as super close as my sister is with her or my brother. Um, mm-hmm. it, it could be a variety of things, but I, I she knows that I'm like always been the one that like is on my own path. So she's like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, like, I'll be there. So, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. My apartment has this heater thing that likes to scream. You're fine. (laughs) Very old-fashioned Chicago, you know? No worries. Yeah, it's the second week. I think my mom has always been... Like she throws a million questions at the person if she really wants to get to know them more, but doesn't necessarily mean that she likes them. Um, there was a point in time in high school where I dated a very horrible person to a point where my mom just like would check in on me constantly and would always want to be home. And at one point she like stopped working for a while. So I think there's that like mama bear mentality kicking in. And now that I'm older, it's just, like, are you seeing anyone? Is there anyone, like, you're interested in? I want grandkids at some point. <laughs> so, um, but I don't know. I, I think sometimes it has been difficult to bring a partner around, especially if they are, they, they don't speak Russian or have, like, no Slavic background. Like, to this day, one of my mom's favorite boyfriends of mine was someone who was great person, Slavic, and I was like, yep, he would have been perfect for you, <laughs> not so much for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Um, hmm. Parents acting weird. 
My dad hasn't really been a part of my relationships at all. He's just kind of like, oh, yep, that person exists. My mom definitely has always taken a very active interest in who I'm dating. Uh, There are some things I won't say in this recorded message that I can share with you both afterward. So, yeah, sorry, public. You don't get to hear the the, the tea, maybe. But um, one thing in particular that I always thought was really interesting is uh, my, my mom was always very supportive and good about like discussions of sexual health and um, just like supporting what I wanted like romantically, sexually, etc., which is really, really awesome mm-hmm. um, in some ways. In other ways, like when I did have a really horrible relationship and I told her about it years later when I was able to come to terms, like what happened in it, um, she's like, yeah, but that, that's just how men are. Like, like, you, like, so that's when they're young, that's just what they do. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, that's not. And, and, and it made me realize like, my God, what kind of trauma has she gone through in her relationship that she's not talking about and how many more Soviet women aren't talking about the things they went through because that's just how men are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was really interesting to me. Um, in terms of like me bringing people around, um, immediately upon meeting someone, I'm always really nervous uh, about my mom's words about them after they leave. Because she's, she's really good at being nice and making conversation with anyone and, and, and like and making somebody feel welcome. It, it doesn't feel awkward, but like deep inside, like I have this, this like ball of anxiety because I'm, I'm going to get the truth mm-hmm. once they're not in the room mm-hmm. um, to know how she feels about them. And it, it has such a profound impact on me. And I like kind of wish it didn't, but, but I guess sometimes I'm glad it does. I don't know. Like sometimes if, if, I, if I'm dating someone in the past, if I was dating someone in the past and I, and it wasn't somebody that I was planning on seeing for a very long time. And like, this was just like a good relationship for now, but not somebody I maybe wanted to end up with as a long-term partner. She wouldn't get that. Like she doesn't get the concept of casual dating and also like them and meeting them. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I, there's nothing to discuss because this isn't important. And I'm like, I mean, it's still important. Like right, right now we're good for each other. Things are really good for things right now. So it is still important for my journey as a person that you, that you try and like this human being. Um, but she was always very open and honest. Like, I don't like this person. They're not right for you. They're not good enough for you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, which is really hard because then after that, like I, I see these people and I just think about what she said about them mm-hmm. instead of just trying to be present and, and yeah. think about what I want and what I've decided for me and not what she's decided for me. That's tough. I grew up with the phrase, you don't just marry the person, you marry the family. So that's why I'm always thinking about like, how will my family reflect on this person? Yeah. Well? And like my partner's family treat me and like, I want to belong and make sure that it's like all around good for everyone, not just the immediate relationship. So I think sometimes that's um, an added weight to meeting someone's parents or for 
them to meet my parents. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's something I still think about to this day. Like, I've been in situations where I've dated somebody and their family is like crazy, just like mine, but I'm like, I don't want that. I want some stability up in this bitch. You know what I mean? Like, I, I need some stability. Um, but then also I recognize the fact that at the end of the day is like every family is not normal and like what we see at face value or surface value is not what happens truly behind closed doors in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say or where would you say like you hold tension around like the ideal Russian gender norms? No. <laughs> like your standard heteronormative like husband is in charge of making sure the family always has money and the wife is making sure that the family is supported and there's food on the table and the house Mm -hmm. is clean fortunately I didn't grow up with that exact scenario but I think the weight still carries right yeah I, I cannot date Russian men like at all it's just not a, it is not in my ability mm-hmm. to deal with that level of bullshit. It's, it's just never happening for me. Um, <laughs> or Slavic men, mostly. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Like all Slavic men. <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Uh, there, there is like, I, I do have moments of like, it would be so much easier if I just ended up with a Soviet Jewish man and like then everything would be just really easy and my family would understand each other and and he would understand my family and I would understand his family and we would all just get along it would just be great Mm -hmm. but then I think about like myself and what I want and it's certainly not that and it is important for me like when I meet um like my future long-term partner's family for us to get along and for us to be on the same page but I just, yeah, the, the easy way to go is is no longer appealing for me. Yeah. Um, and, and like, and just because something is easy doesn't mean it's right or good or, or, or is going to lead to any kind of long-term happiness. And honestly, like, this situation right now, this, this, um, this quarantine is confirming a lot of these thoughts I'm having. Um, and any doubts I was particularly having on those thoughts of like, maybe it will just be easier just to do this thing or it just be easier just to like settle for this. Um, now I, I can't even think that way. Like my God, no. So the end of the world, I refuse. <laughs> if, the, if it's the end of the world, I'm hundred percent not settling for some like bullshit construct that's been baked into my brain since, since first. No, thank you. Do you think it's ironic that although we grew up being told, like, you need to rely on yourself and be self-sufficient, we're also being told this tale of, you need to rely on a partner and they need to be able to find out to provide for you. It's like, what? Yeah, like, make up your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wrote a whole essay about the the fake feminism that women were fed in the Soviet Union because Mm. it was 100% this, like, dual confusing messaging of, you are a self-sufficient woman. Like, you go, girl. Go get that job. Go get that bread. 
But also, take care of your family. You're still a slut. You're still a virgin. You're still a prude. Um, make sure, like, you're feeding your husband. Make sure you're feeding your kids. Make sure you're taking care of your family. But also, we believe in you. Like, go work. Like, woo, women. We love International Women's Day. It's, it's very confusing. And it's not feminism whatsoever. Yeah. But that's 100% what our families grew up with, what, our, what the women in our families grew up with. So, of course, now... You have a lot of these um, women that have come from Russia and from the former Soviet Union who completely reject the idea of equity between the genders because they're like, I, I already went through that and it doesn't work. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you did it, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. There's something very similar to that experience that my mom said that actually made me cry recently. Like, I understand where she was coming from, but it just like did not fit me or my life. And what she said was, I just hope that someday you don't have to work and your husband can just provide for you. And I was like, why would you want that for me? And like, I've come so far. Like, why wouldn't I just do that for myself? And she's like, no, I want you to be able to choose whatever you want to do and have someone support you. And I'm like, okay, I get that. That sounds nice. But at the same time, like, why is that your desire? Yeah. Like, what in life and like what in your upbringing made you think that that was like the best way to survive and like to live and thrive because i feel like thrive is not a word that's really used in their vocabulary yeah, yeah for sure that's really funny and not funny it's, it's interesting because sometimes my my parents will allude to to, to to things surrounding a very like heteronormative traditional relationship but then at the same time, like, I made a joke in college. My mom, like, you know what? Like, I really don't feel like having an actual day job, and I'd rather just like be a writer and an artist, and I'll just marry rich and have somebody support me. And and my mom, like, and I was joking. My mom stopped dead in her tracks, and she just like glared at me, and she's like, I never want you to be in a situation where you're staying with somebody because of their money. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm like okay, well, so that like that whole like financial independence thing was very much like absolutely not. There will be no marrying rich in this family. <laughs> I feel that. I mean, I would love to marry rich because I ain't getting much on my teacher's salary. But uh, you know, I would come on over, Daddy Warbucks. As long as I'm gonna touch you, I'm good. You know. Um, so we have a couple minutes left. Uh, I guess my, my last question, um, is going to be, what is your favorite Russian Soviet Union food? Oh my God. (laughs) There's so many. I love Salat Olivier so much. It's like my favorite thing in the world. Um, my friend recently made me a version of it that was, uh, I guess technically it was, oh, it was vegetarian because it's still an accident. But she replaced the, the kobatsa with, with, um, oh shoot, what did she replace it with? I'm, I'm like having a brain freeze. Um, it was so good. I have to remember. It's like a potato salad, essentially, right? Yeah, it's a traditional Russian potato. I mean, there's a lot of ingredients in it. Right, we don't put meat in ours. We just, ours is vegetarian. Yeah, we don't, it's just, yeah, we put pickles in ours for the crunch. There are multiple versions. Yeah. 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 Y
options. Like you yeah. can do apples, carrots, potato mixed up with sour cream is like the main base of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can do like meat and um, peas and other things. I so I had the one with apples for the first time subbed for the, the kielbasa, mm-hmm. um, and then veggies instead of mayonnaise. Uh, and wow, wow, it was so good. <laughs> uh, just, I love that. Um, have, you, have any of you ever had salanka? No. You ever heard of that before? It's more of a Ukrainian soup, but it's, it's basically like whatever the heck is in your fridge soup. And you put, uh, it's, a, it's usually a tomato base. You put vegetables in it that you have in the fridge. You put meat that you have in it in the fridge. Usually it's like various forms of pork and beef, mm-hmm. like salamis and, um, and, and, and and like onions. Like leftover soup. It's really, it's really, really like hearty. It's kind of like a stew. Yeah. Um, it's super good. <laughs> I, I would say uh, it's so hard to, I mean, okay, so I'm going to do the basic response because I still love this, is like borscht, which is like red meat soup. Um, and like you put like sour cream in it, it's fucking amazing. But my mom used to, and still does from time to time, make a, like a cake. Um, and it's, it's like in English, the translation is like uh, Napoleon cake. So essentially it's yes. like, yeah, like the Bavarian cream. Yes. It's like, like, oh my God, yes. it's the fucking most amazing thing I've ever had. Um, it's like a hundred layers and super flaky and delicious. Takes days to make. Yeah. Crazy. Love that. That's definitely one of my top. Um, I'm a vegetarian. So there's like a lot of dishes like Olivia, unless I don't do the meat, I can't have anymore. Um, because you can make yeah. so many versions of it. Yep. And it's kind of like, like a lot of cultures have like a fried dough something and the Soviet also does. Yeah. Um, you can do like meat in them. You can make them sweet. You can do potatoes and it's just, they're delicious. They really are. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, what else is really good? There's something I'm like a vegetarian. Yeah, like variety with cherries. Yeah. Ah, I hated so those though. The worst. I don't like those. Oh, I hate it. Ugh. Ugh, I love it so much. My mom loves them. <laughs> my mom loves cherries. Oh, have you ever? Um, have you ever like introduced your like significant other or your friends to like the blinshiki with sukroi? Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I so I haven't, but I have given my like this is a long time ago. Not my current partner, but one of my ex partners. He, I gave him caviar, and he was just like, "Oh, this is really good." But some people are so grossed out by it. I was like, "This shit's great. Like, I love caviar." Yeah. Oh my god. So, so I don't even know. Like, I can't have it anymore. But I think like that's like one of the classic, like atypical dishes mm-hmm. that at like every New Year's. Every- party every, like all the russian restaurants all the ukrainian restaurants they have all of it yeah yeah true uh i'm good. i've had a lot of partners in the past where they're like been super picky eaters and like all all the russian foods are not working for them but a person i'm dating right now lived in russia for like half a year doing this program mm-hmm. so he's used to uh all the the foods. Mm-hmm. So now, like, whenever I have stuff in my fridge, he's like, "Oh!" And he like says the name of it, and it's so I'm like, "How the hell do you know what that is?" <laughs> it's it's so it's so funny. 
Um, but so it's kind of nice to be able to share that though, because yeah. food is such an integral part of our culture, of our, of our people. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice. Um, I love it. I just thought of one thing that like something super easy to make, something I encourage you to try to make in quarantine if you, if you like it. <laughs> um, it's called Vinivayobarieniki. And it's just like essentially the dough version of the varieniki, and it's super, super easy to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, on top of it, you can add sour cream, jam, whatever you want. And that's sorry to all, to all the non Russian speakers, that translates to like lazy uh, varieniki. It doesn't translate, does it? Uh, dumplings? Yeah, basically. Dumplings. Yeah. Lazy dumplings. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, so we are about that time and I want to just say real quick that I love you both. Um, and I think, you know, I appreciate and like value your level of vulnerability during this. Cause I think like, it's tough to talk about family, talk about culture and like, just be like transparent about it. Cause I think like the reality is many people are hiding their true selves. Um, and so, you know, I just appreciate and value you both and you know I, I want the listeners to know who you are so if you want to you can definitely share your socials of where people can find you if you don't want to that's fine if you don't want to be found at all that's perfectly okay very soviet style you know um but yeah i'm gonna leave that up to y'all yeah do you want, do you want to go? and um yeah i I think everyone's experience is different and I love my parents and I love everything that they've instilled in me, but I also know that it breaks some cultural norms in America and I love being able to see both sides of it and talk about it. Yeah. So thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, this was really, really healing and wonderful. I've been um, finding ways to connect to to like more people in our in our community mm-hmm. in the past couple of years, which has been really really wonderful, and, and in these ways that are very uh, aware mm-hmm. of what we grew up with about the good side, the bad side, the somewhere in between, and finding a new path forward. So I, I really appreciate this conversation. I do want to plug one thing. Yeah, go for it. Uh, because it's relevant to this conversation. So and in my theater stuff, I. Um, I do clown sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I have a clown whose name is Baba Yana. She is the Soviet Jewish grandma clown uh, and encapsulates all of the intricacies and parallels and conflicting ideas that we've been discussing on our call today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then some. Uh, so if y'all want to check her out, um, I'm on Facebook, Ella the Clown, Instagram, Ella the Clown. And then if you want to check out my website to learn more about Baba Yana, it's criticturnedclown.com. I love it. I love it. How about you, Marina? You don't want anyone to find you? Uh, I'm sure you can tag me. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll probably tag you on social media. Like, this is where you Just can Just not find. on LinkedIn. Please not on LinkedIn. I won't. I won't. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> We're professional on LinkedIn. Not my professional self whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, well, no, um... Uh, I love it. And, you know, I'm sure everyone else will once they hear it. So here's to that. All right.